You're listening to episode 127 of the Christian Travelers Network. Today's topic is, how do others view your worship? Based on Exodus 4 through 5. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I have a background in theology and a love for travel. Having visited nine different countries and served in five congregations, I wanted to create an environment that discusses and encourages the overlap of my two favorite things, the Lord and travel. And if you have a passion for these things, or wanting to learn how God is such an integral part of our daily adventures, then you've come to the right place. Today's topic is, how do others view your worship based on Exodus 4 through 5? I think of one of the main points that I really try to drive home through Christian Travelers Network, and that is, because we're Christians, our travel looks different. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were really set apart. They were meant to be a different people. Somehow, the Lord made them different. They were circumcised. They grew their hair long. They wore very modest clothing. They ate certain foods. They dressed certain ways. They did things that made them stand apart. And it was all a part of how they worshipped God. How they demonstrated their faith and their allegiance to him. He was their king, and thus they followed these rules. And the Lord made these rules to show the world that his people stood apart, that they were under his protection, under his love and guidance. Well, in modern times, we don't follow all of those rules anymore because Christ died for our sins, and therefore he fulfilled a lot of the things that the Old Testament required of us. But that doesn't mean that we are no longer set apart or that our actions can be identical to the world's. We have to make wise decisions that reflect and honor who our true allegiance is to. And the world likes to tell us certain things that our work is our identity, that what we do on the weekends is what really matters, that how we travel and how much fun we have and how many likes we get on our social media is where the real reward comes. But as Christians, we know that our identity is in God, that we are adopted as his sons and daughters, and therefore as his children... The likes on social media aren't our worth, and our jobs and where we travel and what we do on the weekends isn't for our personal gain. It's for worship and honor of the Lord. It's a reflection of who He is, and everything in our lives really is a form of worship. And so I like to drive this home with travel because when we travel, we get to connect with so many people and Travel alone opens the doors for a lot of great conversation. And if you're traveling with God in mind, you can be witnessing. And sometimes when we're at home, we get so wrapped up in our bubble that we forget to do witness. We forget to give God glory. And 
that needs to be addressed as well. But travel is a great place to start that change and then bring it home as well. And this whole topic of how we are different, how we're set apart, is kind of what we're going to be diving into today, not just in our travels, but also in our life. And then we're also going to look at the story of Moses from Exodus chapters four and five, as we look at how the Israelites were to be set apart and to worship in a way that gave God glory, and then how the world reacted. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you know people who think you're choice to worship on Sunday, to attend Bible study is a waste of time. There's so many more fun things you could be doing and you could be sleeping in and whatever else. But we're going to be looking at what Moses and the Israelites experienced and how we can be applying that to ourselves and to our travel today. So let's go ahead and dive in. Quick recap In last week's episode, we heard the story of Moses from him being born in a time when Hebrew boys were being killed and how he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter and nursed by his own mother. Lord worked some pretty amazing miracles out that way, but in the end, he didn't really feel like he fit in either group per se with the Hebrews or with the Pharaoh's court. And he ended up murdering a slave driver when he saw the slave driver abusing one of his Hebrew brothers, not necessarily biological brother, but brother and sister in Christ. Of course, Pharaoh didn't appreciate that. He didn't want one of his own grandkids going against what he stood for. So Moses ran away, he got married, and the Lord gave him a calling through a burning bush, told him, you're to go back and lead the people out of Egypt. So this week, we're going to head back to Egypt. And on his way, there's this very confusing dialogue that talks about the Lord almost killing someone. And we don't know if it was Moses or one of his two sons. But what we do know is that Moses's wife, Zipporah, ends up circumcising one of the sons who must not have been circumcised and tossing the foreskin at Moses's feet. And then the Lord relents and lets Moses and his family continue on to Egypt. What we can probably conclude, although scripture isn't clear, is that likely Zipporah's family didn't practice circumcision and that this was probably a point of contention in their family. Clearly, one of the sons had been circumcised, but one had not. And this son might have been a grown man at this point. So, very uncomfortable situation, but the fact that Zipporah knew that this is what the Lord wanted, must have meant that it was a point of discussion. And likely, the Lord was holding Moses to a high standard. If you're really going to lead the people, you need to be following certain expectations that I have for you. And one of that is to be pure and having circumcised children to show that you are truly set apart. So, after this whole instance, everything pretty much goes smooth sailing on the rest of their journey. 
Aaron, Moses's brother, greets them as they reach Egypt. Moses is so excited. He recaps everything that the Lord has said, and the two instantly bond in telling this story, and they gather all the elders of Israel just as the Lord asked, and they retell the story. Aaron speaks it, and clearly the two are so well tied that even Aaron does the miracles that the Lord said Moses was to do to have a staff turn into a snake, to have a hand be leprous and then return to the original flesh, to be able to take water from the Nile and turn it into blood. Those miracles even Aaron was able to do, but as we remember from last week, Moses was the true source that the Lord was speaking through, and then that was passed on through Moses to Aaron. So in response to all of this, the Israelites are totally excited. They start worshiping the Lord in the streets, and they are just enthusiastic that the Lord has spoken to them, and he's saying that he's going to free them. And this causes quite a lot of joy as slaves here in Egypt, where things are not so great anymore, not like it was back in the days of Joseph. But what we don't know, and so we can only truly speculate, is what worship was like for the Egyptians at this point. We don't really know if they were still firmly practicing their faith 400 years after moving to Egypt or not. Clearly, they at least knew some of the ancestral practices because they worshipped in response to what Moses said. But it doesn't mean that it was necessarily the foundation of who they were and what they did. And because Moses at least knew enough about the Lord, you would think that at least the grandparents at this point would have had some maybe more formal understanding of the Lord. So I would assume that it had some role in their culture, but how deep, we don't know. And we do know, based on the book of Joshua, specifically in chapter 24, that there was idol worship happening as well, because they'd been so integrated in society that they were literally living house to house with the Egyptians. The Egyptians were their neighbors. It wasn't like the Israelites lived in a different community outside the city. It was door-to-door Israelite. Egyptian, Israelite, Egyptian, not necessarily in that order, but they were just that close door to door with their neighbors. So obviously cultural things started to pull over and idol worship likely started to happen. So the Israelites respond with worship and this is just this wonderful moment. Moses is so excited to see that they responded, that they listened, and he goes and he talks with Pharaoh. Now, for, now Pharaoh accepts him and Aaron to listen to them because they're coming on behalf of a larger group of people. They're, they're coming and representing the people as a whole. And really, they don't ask to be set free. They ask, as the Lord had them, to go out and worship. Go travel three days journey out into the wilderness and worship the Lord in response to the fact that the Lord had spoken to them, essentially giving them, they wanted to avoid pestilence and famine 
and disregard of the Lord by spending time in worship, and then they would come back. Now, Pharaoh thinks this means that they're being, that they're being lazy, that they um, don't have enough to do if they feel like they can go worship a god and go travel somewhere and take a break. Clearly, they need more work. So what does he do? He removes all the straw that he would normally give them. The Israelites would spend their time making bricks. And what that consisted of was water, mud, and straw that they would shape into different forms, leave out in the sun to dry, and then it would become part of a mold that they could stack into buildings or whatever needed to be constructed. And usually the Egyptians handed the Israelites the straw. They had very high expectations for workload for them. So this was one step to help them speed along the process. Well, now Pharaoh has removed the straw and said, you're responsible for finding your own straw. And the expectation for the number of bricks has not decreased. So at the end of the workday, all of the slave drivers are pretty upset because two days in a row after this straw has been removed, the Israelites are still not producing the same quotas and they are getting upset with them. And in turn, the Israelites get upset with Moses and Aaron and also God, because if God was really going to set them free, why would they make Why would God let Pharaoh become angry at them and make their burdens worse? Even Moses doubts God because God said that he'd let the people go, but he wanted an instantaneous miracle. What will end up happening are his 10 different plagues, five of which Pharaoh hardens his own heart, and then the last five, the Lord hardens his heart. God is treating Israel like a firstborn son, and God wants the firstborn son back. If Pharaoh doesn't let the Israelites go worship him, then in exchange for Pharaoh holding on to Israel as God's firstborn son, God is going to kill Pharaoh's firstborn son. Pharaoh doesn't believe this God to be all that great, all that powerful, He doesn't even necessarily believe that his own son will die at this point. Will it come to that? Yes, in the next five chapters. But at this point in time, Pharaoh hardens his own heart and and won't let the people go and takes away the straw and thinks that they're being lazy and idle and that's why they want to go worship their God. Why do you want to go worship the Lord? What are some things that stop you from worshiping God? And how do other people react to you? Is your heart just as fleeting in worship as the Israelites and even Moses? That when you don't get the instantaneous results that you believe are due to you, you turn in anger to God, you end up fearing those in authority like Pharaoh, over fearing the Lord, believing that pleasing the worldly things is more important than pleasing our Heavenly Father. Is that what your worship looks like? Or is it a deep, authentic, passionate relationship with God that goes beyond 
earthly circumstances. Why do you worship God? And then what are some things that get in the way of you worshiping God? Is it the straw being taken away from you? Is it the things in life that definitely don't go as planned and become more of a hindrance than a help? Is it other people's actions that stop you from going out into the wilderness and worshiping God because you've seen him show up? You've seen him speak into a situation in your life and you know the response is to take time and go worship, but work calls, life duties call, the to-do list calls, and you'll go worship him later. What are the things that get in the way? And then how do other people react to your worship choices? Do they think that you're being idle and lazy or that there's something more beneficial for your time than being in Bible study, being in God's word, praying and having conversations with him throughout the day, attending worship on Sunday, or straight up just relaxing and reflecting on who God is and therefore who you are. Our world likes to put a lot of demands on us. Satan loves to get us all caught up in our personal goals, our personal to-do lists, others' opinions. But none of those things really, truly matter. The Israelites might not have been able to go three days' journey out. And that was an intentional point to start a ripple effect that would eventually lead to their freedom. But in the streets, in the moment that they heard that the Lord had spoken to them, they worshipped. Did they almost immediately forget their worship when things got hard? Yes. And that's something as humans we're going to fight for our whole lives. Satan's going to try and wear us down. But there is always something to worship. Just because things got hard didn't mean that God's promise that they were going to be free went away. It didn't mean that God was letting Moses down because Pharaoh said no. It was just a piece in the puzzle that led to something far greater than a little worship in the wilderness. It led to them following and being with the Lord in close proximity for 40 years because they again forgot the Lord and whined and didn't believe that he could give them what he promised, the promised land. They got afraid of some giants. But the point is, God was with them. He was in their midst and he is in the midst of your circumstances now. And when you're traveling, the world is going to tell you You know, if you get up early, you can go view this really cool historic site. Or if you stay out late with your friends that you just met, you're going to make some incredible memories. And maybe those things are true. But at what consequence? If it's hurting your worship, if people are telling you that your worship is worthless, that it's idle, that it's lazy, that it's missing out on what you could truly be experiencing, 
then they don't know what they could truly be experiencing. A relationship with the Lord that is far greater than where you're at or what you're doing. A relationship with the Lord that is authentic and pure and it's honest when things get hard. And it's a worship that you are making intentional, that you're prioritizing. That awesome historic site, it'll be there after church. It'll be there after you're in prayer. It'll be there after you take some time to be in God's word. Those friends that you get to hang out with late into the night, they might just need to have a conversation about God and that might be the whole purpose of you being out there late. Or you'll know they'll be there in the morning and so you can say, hey, I'm turning in for the night because I got to check in with God today. The world wants to define what worship looks like for us. Tell us that there's things better out there or that our worship is worthless. That it's lazy and idle or there's more fun things out there than spending time with God. But what they don't know is that there's something far better. And as Christians, we have to live a different life. We have to travel in a way that reflects our true king. And we have to live each day that way too. So that's my challenge for you this week, is that in your travels and in your daily life, you take some time to worship in the midst of chaos, worship against what others might be saying, and focus on your relationship with him, because that is far more important. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, I thank you for each and every single one of these Christian travelers. I thank you for the journeys that you're taking them on. Lord, you know what roadblocks are in their path, what things try and cause them to stumble from being in a deeper and more authentic relationship with you. Moses and the Israelites were confused when things didn't go as planned. And even though we might get confused too, help us to worship in the midst of those circumstances and to act as ones truly set apart to prioritize a relationship with you over the things of this world. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for listening today. In wrapping up this podcast, I do have a final thought and question, but before I do, I want to point you to our website, christiantravelers.net. We are a faith-based travel agency that helps Christians like you dive into God's word among brothers and sisters in Christ while exploring the world at the same time. And we're so excited to be offering an opportunity to do so in Punta Cana this January. While our early bird registration has closed, official registration will close October 10th. So you haven't missed your chance to sign up. And if one of your questions is about vaccine mandates, Our group is following the policy that the Lord has given you wisdom to assess and discern and make your own decisions, but we're also following the restrictions of the resort, which say that there are two ways to get into the resort. One is proof of being fully vaccinated, and the other is to show 
a negative antibody test 72 hours prior to arrival. So if you are able to show proof of one of those two things, you are able to join us on this retreat. And if you have more questions, please head to our website, christiantravelers.net forward slash punta dash kana, or shoot me a message. I'd be happy to talk with you more about it. But in closing out today's podcast, my final thought and question is this. If Pharaoh had let the people go into the wilderness for a three days journey and come back, instead of hardening his heart in this scenario and in the coming ten plagues, the Israelites may not, at least in that generation, have ended up leaving Egypt. Pharaoh also probably would have had a closer relationship with the Lord than he clearly does. But the Israelites and Moses couldn't have known that at the time. They couldn't have known all the puzzle pieces the Lord was putting together to eventually lead them out in a place that was far more trusting of the Lord than probably when Moses first walked in and announced that the Lord had indeed spoken. So my question for you is this, what circumstances in your life are causing you to trust the Lord? Are causing you to question his intentions, but hopefully in turn helping you to rely and lean on him even more so? Go ahead and put those thoughts down on paper, share them with a friend, or email them to me at christiantravelersnetwork at gmail.com. I'd love to hear some of your story. Until next time, safe travels and God bless.